0: Out there in the galaxy, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes into all the details of the galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, and I'm joined by no one. Yeah, kind of a bummer there. But I'm here, alone. Uh, to talk to you today about some fun topics in the Star Wars universe. Uh, So as you know, our show is always about digging into topics, usually just a handful of them, and we uh, go in and we go into all the details, of that galaxy far, far away, and all the things that go on in there. And uh, today, for one reason or another, uh, this is kind of a special one where I'm just going to do it by myself. Um, So What we're going to talk about today, uh, you and I, and by we, I mean I'm going to talk at you, and hopefully you enjoy listening to it. I don't know. Uh, We've never done this before, so hopefully this works out. Um, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be sharing some of the things that I truly love about Star Wars that I know my co-host, Ross, who usually joins me every week... um, is probably not the kind of person who would have the same feelings about them as I did, just because of the different paths we took through Star Wars. Um, And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about three topics that I think are kind of special to me, um, but may not have as much appeal to Ross or our other guests And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about, um, first up, is going to be Behind the Magic, which was a CD-ROM interactive encyclopedia for Star Wars that came out out in the late 90s. We're going to talk about that for not too long. Um, Actually, I have no idea how long this is going to take, so I haven't recorded them yet, so you'll have to take a listen. I usually am more prepared than this with notes and stuff, but I've never recorded just myself. So enjoy! So Behind the Magic, a CD-ROM game, I'm going to then talk about my most formative Star Wars video game in my youth, which was Star Wars Dark Forces, the first-person shooter that was released in the mid-90s by LucasArts. And then we're going to wrap up with something that is a huge part of my Star Wars fandom to this day, which is audiobooks and how audiobooks are different in Star Wars land and and how they, you know, really formed a lot of my favorite stories in Star Wars and what I think about and care about with Star Wars. And I hope to share with you some of the great experiences I've had with them, some of recommendations about some really great ones to this day. And uh, it's going to be fun. Hopefully, I, I think it's going to be fun. Um, so if you don't like listening to my voice, tune out right now, because it's just going to be me. It's going to be me and some sound effects. And that's about it. And uh, if you don't, If you haven't gotten annoyed with my self-deprecation and my um, droning voice by now, then listen on, beautiful listener, because we are about to go on an audio journey led to you by Mac all alone, right after this.
1: soft in the city (laughs) I've missed you kid yeah well things haven't been the same without you bigs it's been so quiet (laughs) I didn't come back just to say goodbye I shouldn't tell you this but you're the only one I can trust see I may never come back and I just want someone to know what are you talking about I made some friends at the Academy. When our frigate leaves for one of the Central Systems, we're gonna jump ship and join the Alliance. The Rebellion? Quiet down! You, you got a mouth bigger than meteors. meteor. Tree. I'm quiet, I'm quiet! Listen to how quiet I am, you can barely hear me. My friend has a friend on Besteen who might help us make contact.
0: You're crazy, you could wander around forever trying to find them.
1: I know it's a long shot, but if I don't find them, I'll do what I can on my own. That's what we always talked about, Luke. I'm not going to wait around for the Empire to draft me into service. The rebellion is spreading. And I want to be on the side I believe in. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm stuck here. You'll get your chance to get off this rock. You're going to the Academy next term, aren't you? Not likely. I had to cancel my application. What for? My uncle needs me.
0: Oh, no, I'm serious. The sand people have been getting really crazy. They've even raided the outskirts of Anchor. Come
1: on, Luke. Your uncle could hold off a whole colony of sand people with one blaster. I know. But we've got almost enough evaporators to make the place pay off. I have to stay one more season. I can't leave him now. What good's all your uncle's work if the Empire takes it over? You know, they've already started to nationalize commerce in the central systems. It won't be long before your uncle's just a tenant, slaving for the greater glory of the Empire. No, that's not gonna happen here. You said yourself the Empire won't even mess with this old rock. Things can change. I wish I was going. Are you going to be around long? No. Leaving in the morning. Hmm. I guess I won't see you. Maybe someday.
0: I'll keep a lookout. Yeah, I'll be at the Academy next season, and then who knows? I won't be drafted into the Imperial Starfleet, that's for sure. (sighs) Well, take it easy, buddy. You'll always be the best friend I've ever had. So long, Luke. Let's travel back to the year 1998. It was a different world. The internet didn't really exist yet. Um, There really wasn't anything to do with as many books and novels. The special edition had just started uh, going, and Star Wars was on the rise again. And another trend was sort of pittering out after trying its hand in the mid-90s to be of import, which was multimedia. Multimedia. Multimedia in that day basically meant the idea of pictures and words and sound and video all collected together into these collages that you could view. Um, With the advent of the CD-ROM in the early 2000s, sorry, the early 90s, a lot of people thought that you might be able to essentially put all the things together. It would be video games, it would be audio and music, it would be um video and film and television all together into one package. And if you look at early CD ROM video games, especially consoles like the Philips CDI, um the uh Sega um Sega CD, um, and even early PlayStation games, you can kind of see the relics of what they thought it would be. Probably the most famous example of that would be like the game Night Trap, which is still surviving to this day. There was a, recently they brought out a 20th anniversary of it for some unknown reason. Um, but it was basically where you're watching a box and you could press buttons and those buttons would play different video clips, which, if you survived long enough to see DVD and bonus features, you kind of saw the last useful version of that, and a lot of that's just gone away. It's kind of the foundation of a lot of websites that we have. And speaking of the foundation of a bunch of websites, the thing I want to talk about right now is called Star Wars Behind the Magic, which was a CD-ROM game uh, ...multimedia project. Um It was essentially a Star Wars encyclopedia that you could load into your computer... ...and get all kinds of information about Star Wars. Which, again, before the Wikipedia, before the internet, before we could share all this stuff... ...this is 1998... AOL and similar services like Prodigy and CompuServe are kind of on the rise. And just now people are starting to get web browsers like Netscape Navigator and Internet Explorer to see what's out there. So if you wanted to see Star Wars, you needed something like this. And Behind the Magic was pretty important for a couple of reasons. One, it had an entire interactive glossary, a database of different entries about the Star Wars galaxy. So you could find out about various characters and view images of them, even some like clips. Um, you could learn about different manufacturers and starships and all this information about it. And this was the most authoritative thing. Um, Source at the time. In fact, that glossary became the basis of what would be known as the Holocron. About two years later, Leland Chi, who was a lead tester for LucasArts, the company that produced the CD ROM game and was the um, interactive media, the video games essentially, department of Lucasfilm, um, became in charge of keeping this thing, this, this continuity database, which became known as the Holocron. And he, to this day, I think on his business cards, has Keeper of the Holocron. Um, and that database started with about 55,000 entries and has only expanded since then. And at that time, there was a couple, maybe a thousand or so Star Wars items that were out there between comic books and video games and books and movies and TV shows and all that kind of stuff was being kind of gathered together in a permanent format. And this became the basis of that relationship database, was this Behind the Magic glossary. But Behind the Magic also had a few other things going on with it. One of the things I vividly remember playing was there was a kind of weapons testing area. So you had this three dimensional, you know, 3D modeled place And they would bring in a stormtrooper, and what you would do is just basically kill them over and over again. You could try different things, like here's a Hans blaster, here's a stormtrooper rifle, here's if you hit them with an E-Web cannon, here's if you throw a thermal detonator at them, and the last one was a real kind of dumb joke which is the death star cannon, where it would start warming up the whole room would start pulsing in green and the stormtrooper would just kind of like run to the back door and turn around then hit the back door and start pounding his fist aimlessly against the door just trying to get in until the entire screen would flash white as the death star laser goes off and wipes out the whole place um it was it was a lot of dumb fun. It wasn't that interesting. And again, by the time we would have you know the internet going, um, a lot of this stuff seemed kind of kind of trivial. But at the time, it was really interesting because this was a lot of how people got information at the time. Um, if you wanted a digital encyclopedia, you were looking at products like the um, Encyclopedia Britannica. Britannica And it's Digital Edition, which came on CD-ROM. Microsoft had the Encarta product, um, which was also a relationship database that was full of um, information. Um, That one was actually fun and gamified because you could actually have adventures. They called it, I think, MindQuest or something where you would basically keep kind of going on scavenger hunts into the encyclopedia to find out more and this is a way if you're a um, child of the 90s you probably remember these things because it was very big in schools as a way for children to have more access to information and in ways that were more engaging to children and this was rad because it was the star wars edition now fairly famously and it's definitely one of the reasons it sticks in my memory um it also had a bunch of behind the scenes content now other than VHS copies that people might have had of specials that had run on television about the making of Star Wars, there wasn't really a whole bunch of documentary or featurettes you could find. Um, So seeing some of the the behind-the-scenes of how certain characters and scenes came together was quite the novelty at the time. And uh, it was interesting. And as a guy who would eventually pursue filmmaking as a career, um, it was... It was formative for me, um, just kind of seeing how, oh, well, so these starships go on these blue backgrounds and then you can get rid of the blue later. That's amazing. How do you even do that? And, and learning just how they did that and seeing a working set was really cool. Um, and But like the crown jewel of this whole thing was uh, deleted scenes, which as far as I can tell have never particularly come out or at least not in the same way, which was um, they were scenes of Luke and his friends, specifically Biggs, that are from New Hope. So this archival footage existed so you could watch the conversation that Biggs and Luke have outside of Anchorhead about how Biggs is defecting. He's gone through the Imperial Academy. He met some guys. They had some conversations and they decided they, they hate the Empire and, and that it's wrong. And seeing it from the inside has only made that resolve stronger. And he's like, I'm going to join the rebellion. And he tells Luke, hey, Luke, you you should join us. You should come with us. You're a great pilot. You do great. And Luke's like, well, I got to stay one season more. Like, he's very Luke about it. And Biggs sort of ends up is like, well, Luke, if you ever want to get out there to the real galaxy, look me up, you know, because I'm going to go join the Rebels. And when you see that scene, it helps inform things where, like, where Luke is, you know, swinging around his Skyhopper model, talking to C-3PO. is like, ah, Biggs is right. I'm never going to leave this place that is a direct reference to that scene that you haven't seen. And while I'm sure if you check around YouTube and something just look for Star Wars behind the magic big dark lighter, you know, missing scenes or cut scenes, I'm sure you can find it. It was like it was like finding a a grimoire. It was like a magic spell had been cast and said, "Hey, hey guys, there's more Star Wars than you thought." And I, and it was the first time I'd ever I think seen a deleted scene. I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't get a DVD player to like probably two, three years later. Um, and so it was amazing to think, wait, they filmed a scene and they didn't use it, but it's Star Wars. Everyone loves Star Wars. Why wouldn't you use it? It was also weird because I don't know if the footage they had was finished. It was a little bit gradient and black and white. So I'm curious if it was maybe like a 16 or 18 mil or 16 or eight millimeter um, daily of what was being shot it may not be the original like footage or anything and maybe that's why it didn't survive till today or famously um you know the original star wars went through a lot of edits before it was finalized so um that could be the reason but it's it's a really cool treat and it's it's worth going and checking out and um Again, it's just a little bit of a novelty, Um, just this idea of this CD-ROM full of pictures and videos and just these ways to relive and connect with Star Wars at a time where it was just becoming available to do Um, as a child of of the dark times where Star Wars was kind of at its lowest point as far as merchandising and public mindshare this was kind of a breath of fresh air to validate all the the time i had spent in my youth loving star wars because it was just it was just a love letter for people who were like me and nerdily wanted to learn that much more about the galaxy far, far away. So Star Wars, Behind the Magic CD-ROM, um, check it out. Uh, yeah, I don't think you can get it run on a modern computer, but who knows? I'm sure someone may have made it work, but it's just more interesting to maybe watch the YouTube bits of it, just check it out that way or or poke around some of the websites that kind of archive some of its information. But um, an important little product, a cool little product, something that's definitely a little anchor point in my childhood And is important to the history of Star Wars because it's when Star Wars got serious about its canon and started formalizing it into a database where the canon mattered. It was codified, it was confirmed, and it lived inside the holocron. So an important part of the history of developing Star Wars.
2: the plans to the Rebel Alliance. Soon afterwards, the Death Star is destroyed, but even as the Alliance celebrates this victory, another sinister plot is set in motion that will become an even greater concern for the Rebellion.
3: Thank you, Commander, for responding at such short notice. The Empire has been keeping us on the run since the destruction of the Death Star. Five days ago, the Empire attacked one of our secret bases in the city of Talay.
4: This is stacked based to anybody out there. Please, we're under Imperial <laughs> attack.
3: They're everywhere. There was no warning at all. Total, Total devastation. They broke through our shield. They broke through our shield. <laughs> was destroyed within minutes. Many innocent people in the surrounding city, as well as the rebel staff, were killed. Intelligence thinks that this may be an act of retaliation for the destruction of the Death Star.
2: Interesting. This looks like it could be a normal Imperial attack. Except for those
1: sounds.
3: Very perceptive, Commander. I know you understand that all we discuss here is classified. This Imperial officer... Crix Medine wishes to defect to the Alliance. He has supplied us with information on the development of a new Imperial weapon. Those sounds you heard, we believe, come from that weapon. A new type of Stormtrooper. The Dark Trooper.
2: A new Stormtrooper that can take out a Rebel base that quickly? I should have kept working for the Empire.
3: The Rebel Command is not taking this lightly. They have authorized me to hire you, to find out if there is a threat, and if there is, to shut it down. That is, if you are still on our side. This could be interesting. Alright, I'm in.
2: But I think I'll need some help on this one. I want Jan Ors as my mission officer.
3: Certainly. Then I will let Jan brief you further on your mission objectives. Thank you, Commander. And may the Force be with you.
0: Kyle Katarn is a rebel. Kyle Katarn is a man on a mission. He needs to steal the Death Star plans for the Rebellion so they can find out about a super weapon that's lurking in Imperial documentation. Now, this is long before Rogue One, where Jyn Erso and her team would go and find the Death Star plans. This is also different than the other three or four parts of stealing the Death Star plans that existed back in the extended universe. But this is the one that I'll always care the most about, including Rogue One. It is my favorite memory with Star Wars gaming. I have a lot. Um, LucasArts and its video games are one of the biggest cornerstones of my love of Star Wars. Right up there with the Tales of the Jedi comics. And I fell in love with star wars games now i at this point star wars dark forces the game we're going to talk about here um that originally released in 1995 and um By that point, I had already been messing around with computers. My dad was a very big computer nerd, and so I got a lot of hand-me-down computers when he was done with them when I was a kid. And from a very young age, I was learning DOS, and I was learning, uh, what was it, Compaq had like a tab-based OS for its laptops, and Windows, and I remember Windows 95 being, being almost a holiday at my house, like it was important. Um, in my formative younger years, I, I already had loved computers. Um, and so I was already playing a lot of edutainment games and I had found the LucasArts games on floppy disks. And LucasArts adventure games were these fun, um, silly, usually very comedic um, takes on exploring different spaces and putting items and inventory items together. And that's sort of what I thought LucasArts Arts. Did Because there weren't really a lot of Star Wars games in 1995, especially if you didn't own a Super Nintendo where the Super Star Wars games were sort of keeping the lights on for Star Wars over there. So when I was with my family and we were out visiting family out in Arizona, I remember we were doing a scavenger hunt with myself and my cousins and we were running around and there was a few presents that came from Easter kind of doing that. And the one I had was this green jewel case CD that was called Dark Forces, and you know I this is eons before the internet, like so I wasn't aware. You know I was I was into to video games already, and I was a subscriber to Nintendo Power, but my parents had already put the kibosh on like uh, Super uh, Nintendo because they thought my brother's brain was turning to mush from it, and so while we all had Game Boys in the family that was it. That was the last straw. If I was going to do anything more with video games, they would have to be on the computer and be of educational value. So I was playing like the super solver series from the learning company and stuff like that. Math blaster, that kind of stuff. So it was kind of out of the blue that my parents, uh, again, tip the hat to video games, something that they generally to this day regret how much I got into. And I took this and I remember just staring at it because we weren't going to go home for like three or four days um, from Arizona. But I just remember just going like, "Oh my god, this game's going to be really cool. It's going to be really cool." Wait, can I use my cousin's? No, they have a Mac. It won't run on that. This is going to be so cool when I get this home. Look at this. There's like guys shooting guys in the back. Like you get to hold a stormtrooper rifle. It's amazing. Now, at this time, I'm sure I was aware of Doom. Doom being, in general, considered the first first-person shooter of note technically there's specimens before there there's even ones of of mention which is like Wolfenstein Castle Wolfenstein 3D but they were all based on the illusion of three dimensionality you were in these maze like corridors and you had essentially in the foreground of the game a, a gun that when you pressed a button it would kind of kick back and then it would shoot a projectile into the distance of these boxy mazes now in the case of Wolfenstein it really wasn't just boxy maze it was very simplistic But by the time of Doom, you sort of started slowly having a sense of place. There were different levels and elevators, and it seemed like things belonged in that space. And it also had open hallways and open, like would open out to vistas. You could see the sky and stuff like that. And it was, it's really hard if you weren't there to explain just how big Doom was to the landscape. Doom was what they call shareware. And shareware meant that parts of it could be passed along for free. You could copy your own discs. You could hand them off to people. And I remember people in the mid-90s uh, passing around discs of Doom and mods of Doom, where they added different weapons and added new levels and all this kind of stuff, and... uh and just for one reason or another, I think I remember some kid went into the school's computer lab and had hacked, uh, you know, Doom onto it. And I think us, a couple of boys, were of course playing it because it was all about gut, bloods, gut. Uh, sorry, uh, blood, guts, gore, fighting demons shotguns and chainsaws, you know, to, you know, someone who is just getting through elementary school, like, that's so cool and hard edge, you know, because I'm used to like Mario and Zelda and Sonic and these, you know, cutesy characters, but this is, this is hardcore. Um And it was gargantuan and it led to what is now still one of the most dominant styles of games in all video games. The first person shooter, the you are inside someone's head and there's a gun in front of you and you're shooting things out there in the world. So LucasArts, which was kind of known at the time of what they would do with Star Wars, they were usually looking for trends and looking for games that were really big and they would make their own version of it, but with like a Star Wars twist on it. Um, They had already done that with sort of these interactive movies with Rebel Assault, which was um, sort of an interactive um, film kind of thing. Rebel Assault 2, which came later or maybe yeah, a little bit later, would be take that to the next level of literally filming with props from the movies to make that work. Um, But they had done this with other things. Flight sims and space sims were getting popular with things like uh, Elite and stuff like that. And they had made the X-Wing series, which led to the TIE Fighter series. So they were already making these very smart Star Wars games that were just very high polished, very good versions of those types of games with a authentic Star Wars map on it. So in 1995, they decided to do the same thing with Doom. And they came up with Star Wars Dark Forces, the tale of Kyle Katarn, who is starts out as a gun for hire, who eventually joins the rebellion through the course of the game. And Kyle is kind of a one man operative, one man army. He runs around with guns strapped to him. He's got this thick metal breastplate he wears that gives him a personal shield that helps protect him from uh, blaster bolts. And he's just this cool guy in a leather jacket that's going off to save the galaxy. And the first mission of Star Wars Dark Forces, which might have been shareware, I think, is you go to a Skyhook, which is a orbital space station. And in that Skyhook, you go there and you capture plans from this Imperial garrison. Um, Actually, I'll take it back. It's Operation Skyhook. It doesn't actually take place in the Skyhook. But it's at a place where they've been testing the Death Star laser. And so you get a complete technical readout of the Death Star. And you escape with your life and the plans. And because of that, that leads to the Death Star being destroyed. Now, again, in the EU, there was... Kyle has one part of three parts and once you put them together, they'll decode to... It, it doesn't matter. It's it's the EU. It, it, there's a couple answers to that question and in the end, none of those answers matter because New canon has made Rogue One the canon story of how the Death Star plans got to the Rebellion. Then you start the second mission, which is where you start learning the plot of this game and where it gets its name. There is a evil general general mock and general mock has been basically disappointed with how the imperial forces have been working and he doesn't think that it should rely on people he doesn't think stormtroopers are enough and so he destroys this one planet in a show of his new project which is the dark trooper and the dark trooper is a super weapon in the shape of a person and he relaunches them from the place where he's been developing this program, the Ark Hammer. And he gets personal permission from uh, Vader to try this out. And they demolish a rebel base. And you as Kyle go in afterwards to see, you know, kind of investigate it. Now the thing that was cool about Dark Forces over even Doom at the time was they really tried hard to make these places within the gaming language of the 90s feel authentic. When you're running around, um, you feel like you're in the Star Wars universe. And that also really helped with things like, um, just how much, uh, the music was playing through. Um, they had these very authentic, Lucasfilm always did, they had these very authentic, um, Renditions of the Battle of Endor's three parts and, you know, the Battle of Hoth and different other sound cues to give it all this dynamic living kind of soundtrack underneath of you. And, um, as you keep going, you go through, like, for instance, um, this destroyed place. There's all these blast marks. You can see that the power has been turned off at this city, and you need to go turn it on before you can open half the doors. And that feels authentic. And the way you turn it on is turning on a hydroelectric plant. And from there, you go and you open up the doors and you find a rebel base, and you see that all the people have been slaughtered, and you're taking out stormtroopers and imperial officers that are kind of lurking around. And this eventually leads you to trying to figure out what caused this devastation. And you go to a note city which is this sort of like sewer planet and you're navigating all these sewer tunnels to get to a weapons designer who lives there who gives you coordinates to this planet that's like an icy um, canyon and that's where you find out they're mining this material called ferric and ferric is this really powerful um, alloy that they can use to make very strong metals and that's when you fight your first dark trooper which is this skeletal terminator like robot with one giant blade on a hand and it's kind of a it's kind of a tough boss and then as the game progresses you find that you know you Need to get to the bottom of this. And there's certain people like you meet Krix Nadine and you spring him from a detention center. And that leads to learning more about the Dark Trooper and the phase two trooper. And the phase two trooper is this trooper that is that exos or that endoskilled and that metal body um placed inside some heavy duty Ferric derived um phase two armor. And so it's this giant, you know huge linebacker of a stormtrooper but he's got these jets on the back and he's got this specialized weapon that shoots this continuous pelleting of uh charged plasma that is a weapon you can eventually get and you start fighting those and you work your way towards uh the star destroyer executor and then onto the arc hammer to blow it up and stop general mock who in the final battle is in the phase three Dark trooper armor which is the phase two armor but a built out and accommodating so it's basically power armor for a person because you actually fight General Mock inside of there before killing him and then escaping and it at the time was just lit a fire in my mind it was huge it was a huge part of my childhood I must have played through that game 20-30 times um and got pretty good at certain parts like uh the third level is a note city which is this sewer and it's actually a real pain in the butt as i played dark forces uh maybe two or three years ago trying to go all the way through and i'm like "Ah, i'm just gonna cheat because this is just just stinks this i don't know how i suffered or had the patience to go through these because you would go down like this fast moving current and you couldn't stop yourself and you had these uh, hit these blaster points on the way down, and if you missed, you got cycled around, and you'd have to do like the entire like slalom through these tunnels again. Um, but it lit a fire in my imagination because it was the first time I think I really got a into a Star Wars story that wasn't from direct from the movies or directly involving the movies. There's not a single char- main character from the movies in this. It's all side characters. Like you're getting your missions from Mimothma. Um, the second most prominent character in the game is Jan Ors, who's a brand new character who is... She's kind of a, a, an Imperial double agent who is your handler, for lack of a better term. She flies the moldy crow your ship and picks you up from missions at the beginning and end. She also is the person who's giving you your briefings that you read before each mission. Um, and she's just... A, she's a cool lady. Um, but she's also there to sort of watch you because you're not a true believer in the cause yet. And so Mamothma sort of has her, have her eyes on you because we want to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Cause you're a little bit of a loose cannon. You're a merc, a mercenary. So that's kind of interesting. And there's neat parts. Like there's a part where you get captured by Jabba the hot and you're stripped of all your weapons and you have to fight a crate dragon with your bare hands, which is really tough. And then escape this sail barge, like, um, spaceship of Jabba's to get back to your mission. And um there's just a lot of authenticity. That's where I first learned about the city of Narshada, which is this smuggler's moon, this vertical city that is essentially like two New Yorks just stitched together with a lot of like Tokyo and and Vegas mixed in because it's kind of a seedy you know, place. Um and it just was so cool of the idea of this just this city that doesn't really have a planet it's on. It's just a free floating city. That's that's built up and down and just exists was again, very fascinating to me. Um, And it also brought a lot of fun things to, to kind of codified some things about star Wars. Some of the things you saw was all of your weapons, some of which came from the movies and some, which did not you were armed initially with a Bryant pistol, which is this very accurate, but kind of small impact weapon so you used it when you really need to hit something precisely even if you didn't care about hitting it that hard so that was great for these these targets you were trying to get to you know you try to shoot them so you could do different things in the world because one thing that was very different from it from doom was there's a lot of puzzles there's a lot of switches and moving walls around and stuff like that to get around the world and you'd use the bryant pistol a lot for that Then you would get um, the stormtrooper rifle, which is kind of the main bread and butter weapon Um, at medium to close range. It was pretty great. And the further you got out, the more it didn't go the distance. Um, Some of the other things that were in there that I remember was there is the Imperial Plasma rifle, which basically shoots these again, these like uh, charged pellets at a really fast rate, kind of like a submachine gun kind of stand in. You had uh, thermal detonators where you could throw these grenades that would explode, which were pretty cool, especially in saying, I think, I don't know, it might have been the sequel. They might have had alt fire, but like they would ting around a little bit before they landed and exploded. So they didn't explode instantly. Um, You had probably my favorite weapon at the time, which was the concussion rifle. And the concussion rifle is a rifle that had this kind of clear tube on it and you'd aim it and this blue energy would fire from the tube and when it would hit someone, it would almost like this fire blew up below them because they're getting hit with this concussive blast. There was the um, dark trooper weapon, which is like a phalanx cannon or something like that, which was just incredibly high rate of speed and really, really, really fast, kind of like Doom's plasma rifle. You also... Um, had some other things like your fists. You could go punch stuff. You could just um, fight in melee if you needed to. Um, and it was really, really cool. And it also got me really into uh, modding um, because inherently right out of the box, they had cheat codes. So in Doom, you could pl- press ID, which was the name of the company, ID Games, ID stuff to make things happen in Doom. And LucasArts did the same thing. So it was LA. So if you did like... Um, LA red light, all one word. It would basically freeze all the AI in the game. So all the moving parts would stop, um, uh, which was great if you're trying to deal with like conveyor belts or you were just wanting to kind of walk and tourist or walk past encounters and things like that. Cause nothing would move. Um, You had uh, god modes, you had no clipping. I learned the concept of clipping, the idea that these three-dimensional objects, when they hit each other, they clip. They tell each other, you can't pass through me. And if you turn no clipping on, well, then there's nothing to tell you You can't walk through walls and up and down through the uh, level. Um, That's where I found out cool things like in most video games, when you go on an elevator, like sometimes to this day, your characters don't go up the elevator. The world goes down as the elevator and your characters stay in the same place because for a computer, it's easier to move the world than it is to move you convincingly. Um, and just cool stuff like like that. I learned a lot about how video games underpinnings work because I would be mutzing around inside there. And there was also, uh, you know, you learned about... Uh, modding and you would find, Hey, I want a lightsaber in my game. And so there's like .bat files or .gob files that you could grab and put them into your game. And that would replace one of the weapons, or you could get new levels that people had done. I built my first custom levels in dark forces as I learned a little bit about programming and how to assemble that stuff. Um, and it was really hard and mine were pretty lame. Um, but it was, It was just this fun playground for my mind that I could just build these Star Wars adventures and I could go get more Star Wars stuff. And I was thinking about like, oh, what weapons would I build? And I would build my own first person shooter mods and all this kind of stuff. And so Dark Forces was a very important game to me. It was one of the most important. And. I love the character of Kyle Katarn. It represents almost everything I feel about almost every media property. If you go and get a media property, I'm always rooting for the normal guy who's standing with the superheroes. That is a character that I always relate to and always love because they're just doing the same thing, fighting the same battles, everyone around them, but they're not nearly as special. They don't have these advantages. They're just doing it because it's the right thing or because they feel they have to. Um, like perfect example, Kyle Katarn is a guy with a personal shield and he can hold guns. He's a former stormtrooper who, you know, was in line to become a commander before he was drummed out of the Imperials. And he is just a guy, just a guy with a gun. And he's doing all this crazy stuff. And it reminds me of like, uh, when you watch Avengers age Voltron, I love the speech that Hawkeye gives in that movie where he's like, like, look, we're on a floating island and we're fighting robots and I'm just a guy with a bow. None of this makes sense. And then he's firing arrows out a peephole because at the end of the day, he is just a guy with a bow. But that's what he has and that's what he's going to do. And so characters like that and Han Solo and the troops in Star Wars, my love of this kind of stuff all comes back down to a um, just a fundamental love of the the average Joe um making it in in a universe. And Kyle Katarin's very much that. And I love his arc. There you get to Jedi Knight, which is Dark Forces two, where he essentially becomes a Jedi and he becomes the Jedi weapon master, where at the end of the game he's learned a lightsaber and stuff like that, but he's still good with guns. So he's teaching the students at Luke's Academy about how to deal with other weaponry if you don't have, you know, your lightsaber by your side. And through that game you learn a lot about Kyle's background, his um his upbringing, his father, his home planet, and a lot of adventures. And it was kind of cool at the time because while the first game was kind of unique in 1995, it was fully voice acted. So there's lots of voice acting in it. Um, And two, it was animated or sorry, computer animated with live action. So characters like AT-88, which was a droid information broker, would be all CG, but it would be interacting and talking to an actor playing Kyle Katarn. And Kyle showed up in a lot of EU stuff over the years. Um, there were sequels to of the, to Jedi Knight, there was Jedi Knight uh, 2, there was Jedi Academy, there was Mysteries of the Sith and expansion packs like that. Um, and Kyle showed up in novels, and I mean, he was an important part of the universe from that point on. And I really cherish, um, there was a series of audiobooks that basically retold Dark Forces 1 and 2 um, in this full cast drama version of it, and it just really made me love that character. So, alright, I, I think I've gushed enough. Dark Forces is a fantastic game, and while it may not hold up, I, I really would warn you against it, unless you have in your heart a love of nostalgic Uh, retro games, especially from, you know, pre-3D. This game does have 3D elements, um, but they're elements. It's not the whole game. Most of the game is an illusion of 3D. Um, And so if you have it in your heart to do that, or you were around at that time, if you were playing games by like Quake or pre-Quake, you could probably enjoy playing Dark Forces to some degree. I wouldn't blame you for using the cheat code to get through some of the obtuse or overly difficult puzzles that, are kind of time sinks for a modern game. Um, but it's really neat. Oh, I will say this game not only came out for, um, PC, it eventually came out for Mac and it also, um, was available on PlayStation one. If you can avoid the PlayStation one game, um, the translation to a PlayStation controller was fine. You can definitely play it, but, It wasn't optimized for that controller. There are parts of it, especially the shooting, that have to be way more precise than the controls they map to the PlayStation will give you. And that's mostly because they just didn't tune it. They didn't make it so that the PlayStation could be a little auto aimy or a little more forgiving than... Mouse and keyboard. They just kind of move the code over. So don't play it in PlayStation, even though I think it's on PlayStation Network and stuff like that. Uh, if you can get your hands on the original PC if you want to try it, or just check out some YouTube videos, just get a feel for what it is, because it's something that I think is really interesting and really started changing Star Wars games to a much more mainstream audience. Um, and it's it's just a really important game and it's really cool and you know, how many other games do you find? You know, Java Spaceship, or go to a planet and fight a Terminator, or end up, uh, you know, fighting uh, guys with rocket packs, and it's 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 full of a lot of really cool stuff. So, really encourage you to check out Dark Forces from 1995.
2: For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the most powerful, most respected force in the galaxy. In the ages before the rise of the Emperor Palpatine, before the fall of Darth Vader, before the birth of Luke Skywalker, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Through all the long years, their stories have been preserved. Two of the most famous of these Jedi warriors were Ulic Keldroma and Nomi Sunrider, young Jedi Knights of great power Learn to master the ways of the Force. Their adventures were a prelude to the great wars that would follow, for the rise and fall of empires, and for all future clashes between the dark side and the light. The battle that would alter the course of the galaxy begins on the planet Arcania, where the great Jedi master Arca patiently trains his three apprentices, the brash young Ulic Keldroma, his brother Kay, and the alien called Tot Donita a member of the twilek race listen now to these stories of good and evil these legends of heroes and villains struggling for control of the galaxy these tales of the jedi
4: good block ulik thanks kay By the goddess of the Twi'leks, your brother handles his lightsaber well, Kay.
0: He's the best, Whoa!
4: Still, are you sure you wouldn't like some help, my friend? Oh, you know better than to ask that, Tatunita. I can handle this on my own.
0: This training droid is old and slow. Then maybe we should turn it up a notch. With your permission, Master Arca.
4: Yes, Kay. I think your older brother could use a more difficult
0: test. All right, Ulik. The Jedi Master has spoken. A better test for our great hero. I'll just open up this droid's energy regulators and. Off you go! Ha ha ha! That's better! Ah! But still.
4: Not. Ah! Good enough! Whoa! To beat me! There! Hooray! (laughs) Well done, Ulic. Thank you, thank you. But I believe you should. Ow! Watch your back, my young pupil.
0: Ulic! You should have known that droid was still armed. Are you all right?
4: Sure, Kay. Just a bruised ego is all. Your brother lets his courage cloud his mind, Kay. Tot Donita speaks well, Ulic. A Jedi needs more than mere bravery. Overconfidence has been the undoing of many a seasoned warrior. Let the Force be your strength. You're right, as usual, Master Arca. If that training droid had been using deadly Force, I'd be a burn mark on the wall right now. Well, you still did a pretty good
0: job on it. I'd better get to work fixing it back up.
4: Sit down, Kay. The droid can wait. I have a story to tell all three of you. But you must listen as a Jedi listens. Open your thoughts to me. Let my words become images in your minds. Listen to me, Ulik. Listen to me, Kay. Listen to me, Tot Donita. Through the Force, you will see things, other places, the future,
0: the past. All right. So what I'm going to talk about here is this is just going to be more of a memory tone piece, um, which is probably what all this episode is going to be. Um, I can only talk with myself, so I can only reminisce with me. Um, And I'm going to talk about something that was very formative to my Star Wars upbringing, which was audiobooks. Um, I've always been a fairly avid reader, but I always had the weird super weird. I was just a, a weird, fragile child, I guess. I never liked books, like the feel of them, the handling of them. I was always worried about like damaging the spines of all my paperbacks. I hated busted spined paperbacks. Um, the pulpy paper always seemed to like wick moisture from my hands. So I just, I like, I would wet my hands every once in a while while I was reading. It was, I was a weird kid. And I also have never liked, I find the smell of paper to be pungent and unpleasant, especially with any kind of age to them. So uh, needless to say, when Kindles came out, I was super happy because I read millions of times more than I already was because otherwise I was reading glossier, you know, coffee table books and comic books and magazines and um, short story collections or narrative magazines, stuff like that was where I probably read a lot of my stuff until Until like Kindles, but I mean, I mean, I still read a lot. I still read a lot of paperbacks and hardbacks. That's not exactly true. I read all of Michael Crichton by the time I was like 13. Um, So anyway, a great thing for me was audiobooks. Uh, My family and I would take a lot of trips and a lot of our trips would be relatively long road trips. So it was always important for me to be occupied. And one of my constant companions when I was a kid was my backpack. And I would have things like a book, a sketchbook, and usually, both my Game Boy and my um, tape player. And one of the things that would happen would be I would usually play my Game Boy for a little bit or try to read for a little bit, and then not get carsick, but get a little woozy from from focusing while things are rushing past me in the window. So, my tape player was the thing that probably got the most work. And for whatever reason, I don't I don't love music the way most people do. Um, music's great. I'm not trying to bismirch it. the, The music's awesome, but most people, you know, you have a couple bands you like, and you've got some songs that are your favorites and stuff like that. And I never really had that. Most of the tapes I had were soundtracks. And so I'd listen to a soundtrack and just let my imagination go of like, okay, well, this is the soundtrack to hook, but what else could it be? What other scene could be playing out? And I'd stare out the window and I'd imagine, you know, all these things rushing along with me and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the other treat I found was I loved, old time radio shows. My mom had a a love of those and she had some collections. And so these old time radio shows where they'd have Foley work, where they make all these sounds and you'd have people, you know, actors and actresses playing each of the roles. And they're doing these interesting scripts where they can describe to you visually what's happening of like, Oh, Hey Margo, is that you? What are you doing with that pink dress on? Like just finding ways to explain at you what you, what you can't see. And for a kid who found out later in life he's an auditory learner and my ears are the most important way I interact with the world, um, it lit my imagination. So tune in to a trip in like 1995 or 6. Actually, it might have been the same one as where I got Dark Forces, which you might have already heard about so far. Um, Somewhere around there, or maybe as late as 98, but one way or another... We're going on a trip, so we're at the local bookstore, and my parents are like, okay, you can go get a book and get an audiobook, and those will be your companions for the trip, Um, because we're going to fly, and so you need something. So I remember I I got, um, I think it was at the time, Star Wars technical manuals, which was from a I think it was a European or maybe a UK printing but it was all these technical readouts and it was like a it's like a car magazine but for Star Wars. So it had blueprints of different ships It talked about all the technology in those ships and it would have like fake ads for you know um, the various droid makers or Incom that made the X-wing and that that was awesome. But we also got their um, Tales of the Jedi. Now, at the time, Del Rey was in charge of the Star Wars books, and what they were doing is they were really starting to go into audiobooks. Audiobooks had started becoming a big thing, especially at like um, rest stops and stuff, because what would happen is you'd find these companies that would have audiobooks, like, say, Cracker Barrel, and you would go and rent one from them. So you'd rent it, and then at a Cracker Barrel down the road, you'd stop in and you'd drop it off. Um, and that was a booming business in the '90s, where people were taking more trips, and they had more access to technology, and they were more interested in things to fill the time. And so Del Rey, I, I think, had sort of tapped what books made sense to have a narrator read, and they were looking for other things. So they started going into other Star Wars stuff. And at the time, I didn't know, but Tales of the Jedi was based on a dark horse comic book that was running at the same around the same time. And I remember getting that and kind of going like, I don't really want this, but my dad says it's either this or like getting something like literature, which is funny because I love literature now, but at the time I'm like, I didn't want to read a school book. I want to read something cool like Star Wars, but this book doesn't have Luke and it doesn't have Han or Chewbacca or Darth Vader. How cool could it be? And I remember on a plane trip listening to that audio book and going, oh, this is amazing. This is 4,000 years before you know, uh, Luke Skywalker. This is a group of Jedi students who are under this master Arca, and they're beginning their first Jedi mission. They're going to go make peace on this savage planet of these very, you know, isolated two cultures where they've thrown all their prisoners out beyond the walls of this one great city, the only city on the world, world of Onderon, and um, those people that were cast out eventually find a civilization they survive against the predators out there long enough and now they're at war with each other and it's up to the jedi to go and and broker some sort of peace between them and then you know it went through and and you know the plot thickens and there's a dark jedi presence there and these these young students are beyond their depth and starting to learn how complex and difficult the world is as they go through their first mission and learn a lot about what it means to be a jedi and understand people and it was really cool, and it's full of beautiful audio. Each character is voiced by a different voice actor all of the sound cues have sound effects and soundscapes to go with them. So when you're talking about the beast riders of Onda you're hearing these flapping wings of these flying creatures, their snarls, their, their, you know, teeth clashing. And then you hear the riders of them yelling in the high voices of like, you know, what they're going to do. And then there's this warble in the background because it's all a hologram that the Jedi students are watching. And, it opened up with the opening theme to Star Wars and an opening crawl and just it was so authentic. It was new Star Wars and very new Star Wars because other than lightsabers, pretty much nothing in it is the same. This is before hyperdrive. So it's all these, you know, taking these hyperspace lanes and, you know, they're wearing armor because, you know, they're more primitive Jedi Knights. So, you know, they, they have to have armor like errant knights. Um, it was so cool. And I remember being in uh, Arizona, which is where we took the trip, and my family, we were just kind of hanging out in a mall and I ended up at a comic book store and found out, oh, that thing I listened to on the audiobook, you can get more of it in comic books. And that it's one of the foundations of my love of Star Wars is the Tales of the Jedi comic books and its follow-up, Stark's Lord of the Sith and the, the Great Sith War, the Great Hyperspace War. That whole run of Dark Force, or not Dark Force is Dark Horse comics, is a foundational part of my love of Star Wars, and eventually that led to Knights of the old Republic, um, which you know hopefully we'll talk about that some other day. And it's not exactly like the comics. I'm I'm old enough and cranky enough to go like, well, that game's good, but it, it doesn't really match up with the comic books, and that doesn't really make sense. And because the that world was a lot more primitive, but. From there, I sought out every single Del Rey audiobook I could get my hands on. And it led to a bunch of great discoveries. Because I read great stories from the comic books like Dark For- or sorry, Dark Empire 1 and Dark Empire 2. Which were these comic book arcs, arcs where Luke is tempted by a cloned emperor into falling to the dark side. And with the help of his sister comes back to the light. Um, and if you um, look at that, I'm, I'm kind of curious what rise of Skywalker is going to be like, because there's a certain part of me that goes, yeah, there's a little bit of that. Cause if Palpatine's back, then how did that work? I mean, and he just laughed. So hopefully he's just a hologram or something, but I mean, maybe he's a clone. I, I have no idea. I guess we'll know soon. Actually, you probably already know future folk. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, there's some some vibes of that. They also had Crimson Empire, which was about um, the Imperial Guard after the Emperor's death and how they kind of function or dysfunction. You had um, stories like the Young Han Solo trilogies by uh, A. C. Crispin. Um, really love those, um, where it's all these stories about Han and and his early days and how he kind of got you know raised and I mean you can see echoes of that and stuff like Solo um, which is pretty cool. Um, there's also smaller things like anthologies, like Tales of the Mos Eisley Cantina, where you had like, you know, uh, we don't do weddings, a, the Bith band tale about, uh, and Dan and the model nodes. And of course it's accompanied by all the great cantina music. Um, you had things like, uh, dark forces, um, which was kind of bringing to life something that was almost like, uh, almost like a picture book it was like um it was prose it was like a novel but it had paintings to go with it that dark horse published and that got kind of whipped into this full cast audio drama which is what these types of things were called because you had a full cast you had a dramatization so it had sound effects and music and um you know you you got to see in your mind's ear um these pictures of different stories and it was different than audio audiobooks, which I always like audiobooks, um, but where the normal path for an audiobook is to have a single reader um read the entire book. Um and often now it is fairly famous. Uh people like Mark Thompson, who does them now for Star Wars, is pretty famous for, you know, uh voice characterizations and really bending his voice to give different feels to all these different characters. Um you know, he does a lot of work. If you've listened to an audio book from Star Wars, one of the big ones in the last, I don't know, 15 years, you've probably heard Mark Thompson talking. He's he's pretty great. Um, but these audio, full cast audio dramas are amazing, and I love them. And unfortunately, they don't really exist in a meaningful way anymore. Um, it's not the most in-fashion thing. It's kind of sad because they're huge over in England, because all of the audiobooks that Del Rey produced like this came from the fact that they were also publishing um, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, which were audio radio plays for the BBC networks in the UK in the 80s when this stuff was happening. And the The BBC, to this day, produces a number of audio content. If you go on places like Audible, uh, booksellers for this, you can find stuff like their Doctor Who Christmas specials or Doctor Who specials. You can find things like, you know, the, the Trials of Superman or Batman stories that are these full cast audio dramas. It's something that still exists in other mediums. Some places like Japan still produce them. But for whatever reason, America kind of just, I guess, just links it to the thirties and forties and like, ah, that's an old hokey thing. And it's sad. Cause I think it's great. Uh, but the closest we get is there was a series of Han Solo stories. Um, smugglers bounty, I think it was called. Uh, and I can't remember what the sequel was called, or I might have that backwards, but, um, Andrew W. Collins and a few other kind of luminaries in the star Wars audio space, um, live produced them at celebration. So, you go there, and they were sort of sort of acting it out, um, but they were making sure that all the sound was nice and tight, and um, they produced these great audio plays. And people like Jimmy Mack of Rebel Force Radio helped produce them. And a couple of months later, you'd get these full, you know, just like the Del Rey books, audio books of them, and it was something that I think was just really fascinating, just a huge part of why I love Star Wars. And if you're an audio person, right, if your ears are how you perceive the world, if you have an imagination to like, you know, uh, you know, spread out your mind or or just to be honest, if you've ever got lost in a book um, and just, you know, your tunnel vision and yes, you're reading words on a page, but you're there, you're viscerally feeling it. I, I feel that's what drama and radio dramas can do really fast is make you just, you know, part of that world. Um, And I think they're more powerful than in some ways other types of audiobooks. And even like I said, like um, modern ones by Del Rey still carry the torch of they will have The Star Wars fanfare at the beginning. They will have, when a blaster goes off, you'll hear a blaster bolt. When there's a skirmish, you'll hear fighting and stuff. Even if they're just reading the words as a reader, they're still adding that Star Wars spin, that touch, that polish, that production to it, which goes a long way to making Star Wars audiobooks a lot more special than other audiobooks. And that's kind of what I wanted to share with you. Um, I hope you uh, can check some of these out. Like I said, there's tons of them available on. Uh, audible.com um, there are some that are out of print unfortunately um, like I have uh, Dark Forces and Tales of the Jedi on Audible but they have since the Disney merger lost those so if you didn't buy them at the time you can't access them hopefully Star Wars will get around to like kind of re-releasing all of that stuff I mean since Del Rey is still the holder of those licensees um, release them as Legends content but there's other ways to get them if you poke around the internet enough you can find a lot of them um but yeah i would highly recommend them tales of the jedi and its sequel uh in audio format anyway uh dark lords of the sith are two of my favorite star wars tales just in general so definitely check those out dark empire one and two are pretty neat um and if you're listening to more modern stuff and you want to be able to get an audible um check out some modern ones such as um the uh 20th anniversary re-recording with mark thompson of heir to the empire is really well done uh, I would also say that if you're looking for some other interesting ones, a Thrawn trilogy—I listened to that all in audiobook. That's very well done. Uh, again, those are both Mark Thompson's. Um, if you want to listen to something a little different, the Claudia Gray books are all in audiobook, and those are read very, very well. Um, so definitely check out um, check out what's out there. You can get audiobooks at Audible.com, Apple Pod or Apple Books, uh, Google Books. Um, There's a bunch of ways. Uh, Barnes & Noble Nook. So there's definitely ways to get audiobooks out there in more ways than ever. And what's nice is in the digital world, what used to take 16 tapes or, you know, uh, 30 CDs now only takes a download, which is so nice. And half the time you can just stream it. You don't even have to download it. So check out these um, audiobooks. Uh, I hope you find at least some of the joy I found in them. Um, They are one of the cornerstones of my love of Star Wars. And I hope that. I can share that with you, so enjoy. Right well, that's how we uh I wrap up this episode of Star Wars all in um thank you for letting me uh drone on at you um here we are at the appendix. We're wrapping this episode up now, to be honest with you, I don't have much to say, mostly because I have no idea if or when this particular episode will go out. This is kind of our emergency ripcord episode. So if you're listening at it, some horrible scheduling conflict happened. Hopefully it's nothing like a medical or a family emergency or something like that. But for one reason, Ross, myself, or both of us could not make it to the booth this week. And so we are are pulling this out. Uh, I'm recording this here in late 2019. So that'll give you an idea of how long ago we produced this or how recently we produced it. Hopefully, Hopefully we get in a few months of this show before we need this one Um, but we're glad that we were able to still give you something new to to listen to um, even if it is a little one-sided and I hope you you enjoyed it Um, it's great to share Star Wars with all of you and one of the privileges I've already had in our short time making this show is connecting with folks in real life and in digital already like even though we're a small little podcast like already connecting with people or saying like, Hey man, I enjoyed listening to what you did. It was so cool to hear your passion for it. And, you know, I don't know what some of the stuff you were talking about, but I thought it was cool. And the way you talked about it was just interesting to me. And I'm like, that warms my heart. Um, I've loved star Wars for as almost as long as I can remember. And it is so cool in a way, in a small way to give back to a community that's given me so much to be you know a single thread in the tapestry of this fandom and it's been an honor a privilege and i hope we get to keep doing it because i have a lot of fun producing and drafting this show and it's been a blast spending the last uh while with you and i hope i wasn't too <laughs> uh boring or uninteresting and i hope you found some interesting factoids in there but um hopefully Uh, We will be back to regularly scheduled programming uh, this coming Wednesday uh, when we release a new episode of Star Wars All In fingers crossed um or maybe um, i don't know we might have more ripcord episodes by then hopefully not um hopefully you'll be listening to newer content that's more in the moment with myself and my co-host rost very shortly but until we get to that next episode this is mac and i'm wishing you a great day have a fun one have a good one i hope you're doing well and things are going great for you and until i see you next time may the force be with you This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.